Father, help us now to understand our present state, our present time, and also the hope that you have held out to us through Jesus Christ as we read here in the Scriptures. And may that hope uh, shape our lives and teach us, Lord, to live by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I want to talk about groaning and eager waiting. I was once, many years ago, on the side of a steep mountain in Colorado, walking up a field of large rocks that were not reliably stable. There was no path. I was on an outward bound course with a group. There was no instructor with my group. Uh, We'd taken the wrong route up this mountain uh, on my recommendation. Things were pretty hairy. Uh, It was steep, it was exposed, and there was the potential for big rocks to move and do damage. I was groaning inside. I was craning my neck forward at every opportunity to see, is the summit there? Are we nearly there? Is it over? I mean, once we got to the top, I knew it would be uh, easy to get down the other side, which was a kind of long and gentle descent. But meanwhile, we had to cope with this steep, rocky, dangerous ascent. And reaching the summit, as obviously I did, it was a huge relief. And it was a release because we were safe. We were free and our labour and our groanings were over. Now, perhaps you've been in a situation where uh, you've suffered and groaned and eagerly waited for relief, for salvation, for the goal to be reached. A patient waiting for an operation that will fix them. A student waiting for the exam, the last exam, to be over. A labouring mother waiting for her child to be born. A prisoner waiting for the gates of the prison to open to them. All of these people may groan and eagerly await the end of their suffering. Today... In this passage from Romans 8 that we're looking at, the epistle, we Christians, and indeed not just we Christians, but together with all creation, groan and wait for God's glory to release us from our current trouble. You might look at verses 22 and 23 as a kind of core summary of this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And so perhaps three sections to the sermon today. Firstly, creation groans and waits. Secondly, we groan and wait. And thirdly, the Spirit helps us. So let's think first about creation. Creation groans in present frustration and looks forward to freedom and glory. Uh, At the end of last week's passage from Romans, we read these verses. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So these twin themes of suffering and glory have been 
introduced. And Paul now in this passage expands on both suffering and glory. First, making it clear that he really sees no equivalence between our sufferings now and our glory then. Verse 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Our present sufferings, he might have said, you might say, cannot be weighed on the same scales as the glory that will be revealed in us. They're just two different, incomparable things. And he goes on to outline how far-reaching the coming of that glory will be. Uh, Because not only human beings, believers in Christ, have a stake in it, but the whole creation has a stake in it. Verse 19, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. God giving his children their inheritance will touch and will transform the non-human world. Sea and soil, moon and stars, bird and beast, tree and grass, the fabric of the material world. Again, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So creation was subject to frustration when humanity turned from God. Genesis 3.17, the story of Adam and Eve in the garden and the taking of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, When God catches up with Adam, he says, Cursed is the ground because of you. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. So this this is the frustration that creation has been subjected to. It it doesn't mean the creation is annoyed, I'm frustrated, but it means that I cannot reach my goal. I'm prevented, creation is prevented, from being a living, harmonious, flourishing glory. And instead, thorns and thistles, predation and death, growth and decay characterise its existence. These have become a kind of bondage that creation that nature has been subjected to. It's not God's original plan, but it is a state of frustration. This order of growth and then decay, of predation and death, of seeming indifferent and random cycles of creation and destruction, is much of what we see when we look out at nature. Now, to be sure... Life and we ourselves stand in a process of incredible and seemingly entirely improbable development. Development of living creatures in all their complexity, the development of consciousness and agency and comprehension and moral and aesthetic sensibility. All of this kind of rises up. It doesn't seem to be just a, a storm of chaos. But, but still, everything that is rising up and developing and wonderful is always also being torn apart even as the whole show goes on, you might say, is this all there is? This kind of endless whirlwind of up and down, growth and death, creation and destruction. Well, there is a hope that creation will be set free and share in God's salvation of his people. Creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. This is foreshadowed in Old Testament passages like Isaiah 65. The wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox 
and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, says the Lord. Or we might also turn to a New Testament passage like Revelation 21. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away, says the Lord. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Or Revelation 22, 1 to 3, the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. This is a transformed and healed world, not just humanity, but humanity and nature. For humanity and nature are bound together and we will be redeemed together. Now, I don't pretend to know if your favourite pet will be waiting for you in the new creation. This is a common and serious question. I don't know. But the Psalms do say the Lord has compassion on all that he has made. God's concern is not just for human beings. His concern is for all he has made. There's the first point, the groaning and hope for creation. Secondly, uh, we groan, we groan and wait for our own release. We're caught up in the same thing. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time, says Paul in verse 22. He goes on to say in verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Now, there is a lot of peace and joy in being a Christian, in knowing God, even now. Romans 5, a couple of chapters earlier, Paul has said, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Romans 14, 17, he'll go on to say, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. These things are real for the Christian now, but... There is undeniably also a lot of present suffering, being tested by temptation and sin, failing the test and suffering the consequences, being beset by sickness, by disappointment, by hardship, and ultimately by death, being the victim of the sins of others. The list goes on, all the troubles that might make us groan. Life in this world can be a tense climb up a rocky mountain. Worrying about a rock moving and crushing your foot or squashing the person next to you. And sometimes with the strain of just putting one foot in front of the other, we groan at the grief of it all and wish we could just get past the weakness and the vulnerability of this life into the strength and the glory of the creation that we await and hope for. We groan. But thirdly and lastly, the Spirit helps us in our weakness by appealing to the Father for us. For we are called to live this life of patient waiting, a life of hope for what we do not yet have. Our full and final inheritance as God's children is around the corner. It's in the wings. It's over the horizon. We don't yet enjoy it. 
But at that time, as we heard from 1 Corinthians 15 not so long ago, the body that is sown, although it's perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. So now we're in the perishable, dishonoured and weak stage and awaiting patiently the imperishable, glorious, powerful stage. Part of our weakness here and now, says Paul, is that we do not know what we ought to pray for. You might say, really? We pray all the time, we come to church, and this is the Lord's Prayer after all. Didn't Jesus teach us how to pray? Well, we do have the Lord's Prayer at least, and we can pray, but even if we're not completely clueless about what to pray for, you might feel as I do, we that often lack any detailed knowledge or instinct for what prayers we really should pray, what will really accord with God's will, what's he really doing and got in store here and now in this particular situation. Should we pray that our friend escapes from their troubles quickly or should we pray that they're given strength to endure and grow through this testing? What is really needful for them and for us? What is God's plan and intention here? And sometimes uh, by just sheer not knowing what's good and right and best and the weight of trouble and grief, we might feel reduced to mere groans. Help, Lord. Or just your will be done because I don't know what what to do or to ask for. I'm out of wisdom here. Well, Paul encourages in verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And so when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit does and appeals to the Father for us. In these wordless groans, the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God, that thing that we don't have access to in any perfect way and so what is in our hearts what is in your heart what you would pray for if you could what it is good to pray all this is indeed lifted up to God and known to him even though we might feel our prayers are very inadequate from above God searches our hearts from within the Spirit intercedes for God's people. An attentive mother knows what's going on for her young child very often. Sometimes they're a complete mystery to her, but often she, she knows this is what's going on here. The child can't explain or ask for what they need, but she searches their hearts in a sense. She knows. And so God knows what is going on for us. A caring sister or brother can often speak for their younger sibling when they need someone to speak for them. The child can't know, but the brother or sister says, hey, you know, this is what's going on here. They understand them. And so the spirit who lives with us can also speak for us, for he knows us. And so this team, an attentive mother and a caring brother or sister, can often help a groaning child and they work together to do that in perfect accord. And likewise, there is a teamwork of Father and Holy Spirit. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. 
And so you and I can pray in the knowledge that that team is with you. The Father above, the Spirit within. Your prayers are aided. So pray on, even when you feel weak and ignorant. Pray on. So two points then. Our hope is vast in scope. The glory of Christ that will be revealed is for us and for the world, the whole world that God has made. Creation will be liberated and brought into the freedom of the children of God. We shall be saved along with the natural world that God has put us in. Our hope is vast in scope and we, as we groan, we're not alone. We might be reduced to groans and weakness at times, but God's Spirit speaks for us to the Heavenly Father who knows our hearts and listens to the Spirit's appeals. Why don't we give prayer a shot right now?